Okay. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Felina, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And, oh, man. Okay. I just need to say that um, this is, uh, I'm a little, I got a little something happening right now. It's a, um, you know, I'm used to being in meetings where at least I can, I see, you know, more faces or people at least introduce themselves. So it's a little, um, it'll take me a minute to kind of get used to it. So, um, if you're listening to the recording, I'm looking at a screen and I see some faces and I see some blank screens. And so, um, but I know that um, my higher power is listening and speaking. And my prayer for today is that my higher power use me. Um, and I normally start off by pitching, by saying the third step prayer. So it was really nice that we got to do that together. Um, so uh, thank you very much, Cindy, for asking me to speak. Thank you, Domingo. Thank you, Carla and Rob and everybody else who gives service to this meeting. Um, I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be a service to Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I'll get the numbers out of the way um, because, you know, I always want to know the numbers. Like, should I waste my time listening to this lady or not? You know, I don't know if you guys are cynical and <laughs> I am, but um, I have been in this program for just over 11 years. I've been abstinent um, just over um, 11 and a half years. Um, I've released about 40 pounds from my top weight. And um, I think... I think those, I've worked the 12 steps many times, um, and I will talk more about that hopefully during my pitch. Um, but those are, um, and I, I would have been um, somebody who was, you know, well into five, six, 700 pounds if I wasn't cross addicted. So I'm just letting you know that I'm also cross addicted. So I have multiple tools to juggle my unmanageability. Um, so what it was like, um, and I'm aware that I'm being recorded. Um, and so that is, um, I'm, that's the second time I'm saying that because I came into this program when I was living in Europe and I was living in Greece where there wasn't a ton of long-term recovery. And so I used to listen to a ton of, of podcasts and speakers from Southern California and they really, I would, um, I would, I would listen to podcasts while I was eating my meals and I would hear people share their experience, strength and hope. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. So, um, to be able to do that, um, for somebody else, for myself, first and foremost is, is very, very special today. So I just want to acknowledge that, um, what it was like, I was raised in a home with a tremendous amount of trauma. Um, I can only share my story. Um, and my story was that I was raised in a home that with multiple addictions, with alcoholism, with drug addiction, uh, with violence, with um, incredible amount of trauma. Um, uh, you know, there was drug dealing, there was trafficking, there was, um, it was a bad scene. Like, I'm just going to say it was a really, really bad scene. It was a very, very um, unsafe environment for a small child. And um, and what, and I'm an only child. And so that made me feel even more special and unique. <laughs> so just in case there's any other old, only children, you know about that. And um, when my parents would fight, um, which was often because, you know, that's just what happened. Um, I would go into the closet and I would take a chocolate bar with me and I would sob and I would cry. And then I would have the chocolate bar with me. And that helped me breathe. Um, I had a lot of asthma as a kid and I was regularly hospitalized um, because I couldn't breathe. And um, I, you know, I was, I was very, very sensitive to my environment. And so the food was the only thing that was stable in my life. 
the food and school. Um, I really, you know, just to fast forward today, um, I have so much compassion, you know, for the kiddos right now who are knocked out of school because school saved my life. You know, um, there was so much instability in my family of origin that, you know, school was a safe place for me. Um, I did not have that at home. So I um, just have a lot of compassion for kids who are, who are being kicked out of schools today um, because of this virus. Um, so um, I wasn't very heavy as a child, but I had a cousin who was very petite. And we were the same exact age. She was three months um, younger than I was. And so since I didn't have siblings, you know, they didn't have kids, other kids to compare me to, but they always compared me to my cousins. And my other cousin was about four or five inches shorter than I was and like half my size. And everybody always used to talk about how cute she was. And um, I remember when we would be in the swimming pool, they would throw her around really, really easily. And I knew then that I was wrong and bad because nobody commented on cute, how cute I was because I was so skinny and so little. Um, and so um, my mother and my grandmother both have this disease. Um, my uh, grandmother was um, the type of bulimic who would eat her steak, um, chew her steak, and then um, put the rest of it on her plate. Um, and my mother was always dieting my entire life. Um, and um, when I finally, when I came into this program, she was not, uh, willing to join, although she was very happy that I was happy to make amends to her and to be of service to her. Um, and so I say that because I come by this disease, honestly, um, for me, the food saved my life. I will say that again and again and again, whenever I pitch, because the food um, was the way in which my higher power could give me some stability, some sweetness, some way of feeling special and cared for when my environment couldn't provide that. Is that six minutes? Yes, ma'am. Okay, great. Thank you very much, Rob. Um, so I will fast forward <laughs> um, to uh, basically from, you know, being in school to being in college to working, you know, I did all of the things that I thought I needed to do to become successful. You know, I went to college, I went to graduate school, um, but I was terrified and I was, um, I was so scared that anybody would, knew, would know about me and about my family, because um, I was the one who was entrusted with protecting family secrets. That was my job. I had a job from the minute I was, I was born. Um, and so I thought if I accomplished all these things, you know, I got these master's degrees and I spoke all these languages and I traveled around the world and I was a diplomat and all these things, that I would be acceptable, even though I was never quite the skinny girl. Um, and so I was constantly dieting. Constantly, and I also um, definitely have exercise bulimia in my story. Um, so it was a question of, um, you know, by the time I found these rooms, I was living in, in, in Europe and I was so traumatized that I could no longer leave the house. And I had been somebody who was very high functioning and traveling around the world and could do all kinds of things. But by the time I came into Overeaters Anonymous, I um, basically couldn't leave the house. I was socially isolated. I couldn't work. Um, my just, my levels of anxiety were so high. Uh, you know, I was broke. I was dating these horrible situations. I won't even call them relationships because they were just situations. Um, and, um, and it was, it was miserable. Um, and I had tried all the diet things that you have all tried. So I'm not going to even go there. Um, but I talk about the exercise bulimia because when I came in, I would exercise three hours a day at a local gym. I would walk home. On the way home, I would stop at one of the kiosks that you see in downtown Greece. I would get my, my, my fix. And then I would run home 
to get into bed and to climb under the covers as if George Clooney was going to be waiting for me. Like that's how excited I was about my, about my suites. Um, for those of you who don't like George Clooney, fill in your own <laughs> person. But um, so by the time I got here, um, I was a very, very low bottom. I had no hope. I didn't have any money. And that to me is a really part important of my, my story because if I'd had money, I don't think I would have come here. I, I don't think I would have. I would have kept trying the other things. Um, but I had, I had run out of money and I couldn't earn money anymore. And my parents didn't have money to give me. Um, so I was broke. Um, I was broke financially. I was broke spiritually. I was broke emotionally. Um, and so I was really, really low bottom and very, very desperate when I came into these rooms. And I remembered hearing um, a woman on a podcast on, a, on some outside thing. She was some weight loss coach, because I was always listening to the weight loss coaches, you know, whatever I could. And she had talked about how she had gone through 16 years of not eating sugar. And I was like, who are these people? And that, that I think was the first time I'd ever heard of Overeaters Anonymous. And I was like, no way, Jose, like that's, that's crazy. No normal person does. What's the point of living if you can't have cake and ice cream? Like what's the point of living? Um, but um, things happened in my family of origin that were so painful and that I knew I needed support um, that I, I went to my first meeting and it was in, a t in an area in Athens that was where all of the other junkies were um, because um, I might look like a good girl. Um, I, I might have all these books behind me and I have all these degrees, but I'm a junkie when it comes to food. I am no better than um, somebody sticking a needle in their arm. And I know that today. And I didn't always know that. And I, I got on my high horse a lot. So when I first came to these rooms, it was great for me that the meeting location was in a place where there were other people who were really suffering from addiction. Um, and I got to that first meeting and it was a cold January morning and the doors didn't open. And I was like, are you kidding me? I couldn't believe it. Um, and so I, I, but I was desperate enough. And so the next day I got online and I went to a meeting at a woman's home. And what happened at that meeting was I, I did not see physical recovery. And I need to say that because that is part of my story but I felt something different. I felt something special. I felt a love and a camaraderie and honesty that I had never heard in my entire life. And it was as if, um, it was as if a whole world opened up to me. And I think, I, I still thank my higher power for those, those folks who showed up at that meeting um, because they were able to carry a message to me um, even though they didn't look like what I wanted. And I say that because I know a lot of times coming to meetings over and over and over again, um, you know, when, when you don't look like Barbie, um, not that there's anything wrong with Barbie, but it can be hard. And I know that those women who came to that meeting saved my life. Um, and, I, and I say that, you know, so if you're, if you're struggling or if you've been around a while and you haven't gotten the physical recovery, um, I hope you will hear that you can still carry a message still by practicing the principle of perseverance, which is the principle of step 10. Um, so when I came in, like I said, I was so, I was so desperate and I was so hungry um, to be in a place where people didn't want my money or they didn't want anything from me. I wasn't expected to be smart. I wasn't expected to be funny. I wasn't expected to be clever. I wasn't expected to fix you. I wasn't expected to do anything except for sit in a corner and sob day after day after day after day after day, which is what I did. Um, I, the first person who answered the phone when I called to find out where the meetings was, was the first person who became my sponsor. She, I thank God for her. Um, because she took me through the first couple of steps. 
Um, and then it was time for me to move on and to find somebody else. And so, you know, again, if you're new or if you're struggling or if you don't have the perfect sponsor, you know, I, I didn't need a perfect sponsor because I'm not a perfect sponsor. I needed a human who had a little bit more time than I did. Um, is that, is that six? Okay. Thank you very much. Um, so, um, and I, I did what I was told. I, um, and I kept doing what I was told and I, I, I became abstinent on March 19th, um, 2009, which for me was, um, it, my bottom line abstinence is no recreational sugar. So I don't do all of the things that I lived for before. Um, and so what it's like today, um, I feel like I'm like zipping through time and space in all of this. Um, what it's like today, I have worked, um, I've always had a sponsor. I sometimes didn't like my sponsor. I sometimes didn't call my sponsor, but I always have had a sponsor. I have always gone to meetings. I have always read the literature. I have always made phone calls. Um, and probably the thing that's, that I think that is sometimes different in my story than I hear in other people's stories is after that very first meeting, there was the woman who led the meeting. Of course, I thought she had all the answers because she was like the expert, right? Because she's leading the meeting. I mean, come on, you know, I'm from I'm a kid from New Jersey. Like you go to the power, right? Um, I called her that very same week. And because you people told me, pick up the phone and make phone calls. And I was like, I don't know why they're telling me to do this. Like somebody going to like reach through the phone and grab the food out of my hand. I had no clue, but I called that woman and she said to me, wow, you know, I'm so glad you called. She said, it took me over a year to make my first phone call. And I was like, oh, well, aren't I special? <laughs> Which of course my ego needed, but that willingness to reach out and ask for help has been everything in this program. Like I had no, I had no pride left when I got here. I was like, I will do what you tell me. I will call you. I will jump up and down on one foot if that's what you tell me to do, because I wanted to die. So, um, so like I said, I've always had a sponsor. I, um, the very first person who asked me to sponsor them, I said yes. Um, and I, I pretty much always say yes when folks ask me to sponsor me now, because the only reason I'm here is to be of maximum usefulness to God and my fellows. That's it. That's the only reason my life was saved by a loving higher power. I owe everything in my life to um, my higher power and to the, to the 12 steps. Um, since coming into OA and, and getting some sanity around the food, I have also become very clear that there are other parts of my life that were maybe had a little few issues with some of the other areas, which of course, when I came in here, I was like, oh, I just have a food problem. I just have a little weight problem. Everything else in my life is so good. Everything in my life was shit, but I couldn't see that because I was in so much denial. Um, and so what it's like today is I am a member of multiple fellowships. I am in this fellowship and I, this is my primary fellowship um, because if my food is off, there, you know, I can't be present in relationships. I can't show up for work. I can't be present for love. I can't be present for um, my career. Um, I have given service at every, at many, many levels um, from sponsoring to leading meetings to, I was the vice chair of the national service board in Greece where I was living. I've been intergroup rep. I have been um, to, I've been a world service business council um, conference delegate. I've served as committee chair at World Service Business Conference. Um, I've been uh, at assembly. You know, I've done all the things that, they, that you can do. Um, I haven't been treasurer yet, which I keep praying for the willingness to do someday because money ain't my thing. But, you know, we'll see. Maybe it'll happen this year. I'll keep you posted. Um, 
And giving service um, has helped me in so many ways by honing my skills in other areas. So thanks to this program, I went back and got some more education and more training. And now I am in a completely different um, industry where I work for myself. I get to practice the principles and all of my affairs. You know, my higher power is my business manager. Um, and so my higher power is, is the one who decides what I do for work and what I get paid and how I do it. Um, I am, for the first time in my grown-up life, I am in a committed monogamous relationship with a wonderful human being who has his own spirituality and his own higher power. And sometimes I remember that I'm not it. <laughs> sometimes I remember, um, and uh, which is a blessing and a gift. And um, I was really grateful that he was happy to leave the house so that I could leave this meeting on a Saturday morning early, which he normally doesn't. So that was, you know, really, I'm really grateful for that. Um, thanks to this program, I was able to, um, I mean, one of the things that I didn't say was, you know, when I was a kid, it was so traumatic that I was left at an orphanage for a while. And I had a resentment about that for a really long time, as you can imagine, because I didn't know if my parents would come back for me. And as a result of working these steps, when my mother was diagnosed with stage four metastatic breast cancer, I moved back to the U.S. and I took care of her. And, um, you know, this woman that I had spent my whole life resenting because she didn't give me what I wanted. I took care of her and got to um, have so much healing and love in that relationship. And besides the relationship I'm, I'm currently in, that's probably the thing that I'm proudest of in my entire life was being able to, thanks to my fellows in this program who have always held my hand um, and have given me so many resources. I've been given homes to live in. I've been given money. I've been given jobs. I've been, you know, all of the things that I wanted to get I got by showing up here. And um, I probably only have a couple of minutes left. So I'll, I'll say the thing that I'm working on most right now. Um, and there are tears. And I'm so grateful that I don't ever apologize for my tears anymore. I, have, I, I know that those are a gift from my higher power that I'm speaking truth. Um, one of the things that I have been really, really working with with my, with my sponsor and with my higher power is you know, as a kid who was really deprived, I went out into the world and I thought this world is here to give me. You know, I had this big chip on my shoulder because I was really traumatized and really needy and my needs weren't met and that wasn't cool. And the world today, I realize as a, as a member of Overeaters Anonymous is for me to be of service to, right? And so when I want, when I think about going into the world and what am I gonna get out of a meeting? What am I gonna get from this person? What am I gonna get from this interaction? That is my disease, whether it's about food or getting love. There's not enough food, love, attention, sex, uh, cuddles. There's not enough of that in the world. I cannot get enough of what I want. But when I focus my intention on being of service to somebody else and, and, direct, and ask my higher power to direct me, help me make somebody else's journey a little bit easier today. When Cindy asked me to speak, I was so honored. And then she said, it's at 8.15 in the morning. I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I was not thrilled by that. But then I remembered, you know what? Every time you do something, every time you do something for somebody else, you get so much more than you could ever ask for. And so that's really what I'm working on right now is asking my higher power to help me to trust that when I focus on what it says in the big book, you know, in the big book, it says, you know, and I am completely a big book thumper. Um, and if you haven't yet read and worked through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, that might be the thing in your recovery that you might want to consider doing. I'm happy to talk to you offline about that. But for me, I see in the big book so many times, you know, working with others, 
will will ensure us, you know, one more day. Um, and what that means is it's not like this rote, oh, I'm going to tick this off my box. I've got to put my heart into it, you know, because that's, that's what God wants me to share, the love. You know, sometimes when I give service, I can get so up in my head and check the boxes. That's not what this program is. This program is about love. It is a secret magic potion pill of love. And we don't talk about that in these rooms enough. That is what this room has given me. It has given me an ability to love myself. It has given me an ability to love my family members as perfectly and perfect as they are. It's given me the ability to love people who I see walking down the street today who are not doing it the way I think they should be, if anybody can identify with that, right? There's a lot of people doing it like that. But it gives me an ability to love them. And so I'm really asking my higher power, you know, show me God today on my walk that I just get to walk because I, I, I'm abstinent and I'm a member of this program. That's the only reason I'm alive. I know I would have been dead by now. I wanted to die. I didn't have the courage to kill myself. I was killing myself one chocolate bar at a time though. And I say that because this disease is a killer. It is a killing disease and I need to have the same motivation as I would with any killing disease, any disease that wants me dead, which is my disease is really, really big and I have respect for it, but I have so much more respect for my higher power, for the power of Overeaters Anonymous, for the love that is in these rooms. And the love only comes to me when I open myself up and I make myself available to receiving it and to giving it. It doesn't come in the package I want. It doesn't come in the package of getting likes on my social media post. It doesn't come in the package of making all this money. It doesn't come in the package that I think is going to make me feel good about myself. It comes when I focus on how can I help somebody else today, God? How can I make somebody else's burden a tiny bit lighter? And I am no saint, believe me. Like I, I, I qualify for no sainthood program, right? Like my partner can tell you that. But I'm asking my higher power rather than focusing on what am I going to get out of this situation, which is still my orientation. Thanks, Rob. I hear that. I'll go ahead and wrap up. Thank you for your service. Rather than that fundamental orientation of what can I get from this situation, I start praying for the willingness because I have worked the steps abstinently in Overeaters Anonymous to give. It's not a martyrdom thing. It's not a codependent thing. It's not a, I'm going to give to you so that you will love me. Because if I do that, I am, I'm, I'm screwed. It is a, I am so grateful for the life that my higher power is, has given me that if I can make the burden just a tiny bit easier for somebody else who might be struggling, somebody who is thinner, richer, prettier than I am in particular, that's where I get extra bonuses, right? Because my ego doesn't want to do that. My ego doesn't, doesn't want to do any of that. Um, that's, where the light, that's where the light of God's love comes in and, and helps me. Um, to heal from my wound, which is selfishness and self-centeredness. So with that, I pass. Thanks so much for letting me share.